Chat on This are a series of conversations designed to be thought-provoking, informative, and offer an empowering approach towards well-being for your family. Brought to you by Advanced Health Chiropractic. Today, we are talking all about gut health in our teens and our tweens. And I thought I would start by introducing what is commonly said or talked about when we say the gut is like the second brain. So what this means is we all know our brain and body are connected. And an easy example of that is if you've ever felt nervous before and you feel queasy or you feel those butterflies in your stomach, that is what's happening when your body perceives your own emotional state or what might be going on in your brain. Another example of this, of the nervous system and the brain being connected into the gut, is the vagus nerve that we talk about a lot. And what that vagus nerve does is it exits the brain, wanders through the body, and innovates all of the organs. And innovate literally means it supplies those organs with information of the brain. But what we also know now and didn't always know is that that information feeds back the other way as well. So what is going on with our teenagers in their gut, in their digestive tract, is directly influencing what might be happening in their brain. Katie, do you want to tell us a little bit about what might be at play here for a teenager? Absolutely. So so we're taking a slightly, flipping it on its head a little bit. We talk a lot about the brain in our podcast. This time we're talking about the gut's influence on our brain and therefore our behavior and how we're feeling. Now, we see a lot of tweens and teenagers in the practice, and we've been canvassing them just recently because we're focusing on them this um, next three months. And it was really confronting and interesting and curious to know that one of the big things on a teenager's mind at the moment here in New Zealand is that they feel anxious or anxiety tends to play a big part in in, um, their health and their well-being. Now, um, if we're talking about the gut, um, lots of things may influence uh, how someone is feeling. A big one, which is obviously um, fairly straightforward, is what we put into our bodies will influence how we're feeling. So if we're putting good food into our bodies to nourish our bodies and to fuel our bodies for uh, the demands that the body needs, we naturally will feel better. And we do know, and there's lots of studies out there to prove that when we eat a poor diet that is um, nutrient deficient, it can lead to higher states of anxiety um, and making us feel anxious, depressed, and angry in some cases. Another thing that's at play for our teenagers is of course, huge fluxes of hormones as they're developing and growing. This also plays a huge part in our gut health and our gut well-being. Uh, We see that for our girls, they're menstruating younger and younger and younger. Um, There's lots of different theories as to why this is happening. But what we have discovered is that um, as a Western culture, we have become more and more reliant, for example, on dairy products. Uh, This does seem to be a very strong link between our consumption of dairy and um, an exacerbation of certain symptoms that that a teenager might feel, a a female, when she menstruates, um, more cramping, more pain, um, uh, PMS-type symptoms. It's quite interesting. We've um, followed for a long time now a fabulous lady called Lara Bryden, and she um, is a naturopath and really really gets to the crux of uh, women's hormones and how to really 
help us to maximize um, our health with regards to our hormone health. So um, we can't leave this section without talking about um, as we grow and develop, particularly in those teenage years, the influence of body image on our health and well-being. And unfortunately, uh, because of um, our great uh, sort of reliance on social media, we uh, often, uh, our teenagers can be uh, misled into thinking a certain image is um, preferable to another type of image. And sadly, for a lot of our teenagers, they then aren't nourishing their bodies in a way that really provides them with health and well-being. And that later on down life can lead to all sorts of health challenges and certainly um, a decrease in vitality. And I don't think you need to be a health professional to be able to see what those ripple effects are, hey, on our teens. Um, I'm going to go into some of the things that our families or new teenagers to our practice are talking about a lot. But before I get into those kind of signs and symptoms, um, I think it's really important to acknowledge, and similar to what Katie just said, there's there's a lot of signs of inflammation or disease or dysfunction within the body. But before that can come about, there's got to be a dysfunction with how the body is actually regulating itself. So that's why we always come back to the nervous system. It's the nervous system that's driving our teen's ability to be well. And it's also the nervous system that may have some interference or something that's not quite letting it or allowing it to flourish exactly as it should. So Yes, we talk about a lot of this stuff with our teens on their early visits or if they might be going through challenges um, as they are seeking care with us, but we're always bringing it back to where is the dysfunction, what's the root cause, and what is it that is getting in the way of their body's healing like they should. So with that in mind, um, some things that we're hearing a lot about are allergies and intolerances. So those are completely linked with each other. For some people, it might also show as eczema and different skin conditions as well. Um, maybe chronic illnesses, those coughs and colds, all kind of linked together with different inflammation, often stemming um, from the gut or related to the gut. Katie, you've already talked about it, but anxiety is huge. And it is even bigger in the last few years. And we don't necessarily have the stats on it, but basing on the conversations that we're hearing with people coming to the practice about the teenagers in their community or teachers, what they're observing in their kids, younger and younger and younger. We have kids who are just absolutely crippled with anxiety. And mm. it is heartbreaking when we know there is so much that can be done to help and support these kids. Another big one is depression and mood challenges. And I feel like I'm not hearing about that as much, but it's definitely there. It's huge, and we all know we've just had Gumboot Friday. Um, the mental health impact on our young kids, our tweens, our teenagers, especially in the last few years, and we've been so isolated, and we haven't been able to predict what's coming next. We haven't lived in a stable world. So if you're a teenager or you're a child and you're trying to still make sense of the world and you're trying to adjust to all the different changes that come with that stage of life, and you're in a really unstable environment that we've all just spent the last few years in, that is, that's naturally going to have a huge impact. And we are so, so passionate about meeting these kids, meeting these families and working out what's happening in their nervous system, what's driving this and what's getting in the way of them being well. Absolutely. Now, something's just cropped to mind, a fabulous documentary that was produced, I'm going to say over 10 years ago, 
and I believe it was called Super Size Me. And it was this incredible documentary, a journalist who decided to put his um, his body on the line and he chose to eat McDonald's um, for a period of a month, I think, I think it was. It a was. Month, yeah. And um, it was just fascinating to watch. Um, I think uh, conceptually we all understood that probably wasn't a good idea, but it was really fascinating to see how he measured health and well-being through that month. So he was looking at his uh, mental health and well-being he was also looking at um, lots of physiological markers. So he was looking at his kidney health, his liver health, mm -hmm. his um, blood counts, um, his sexual health. Everything plummeted in such a dramatic way. And it was really interesting because if you look at the packet um, of, a, of fast food, I don't have to necessarily talk about McDonald's, it looks like it constitutes real food. It looks like there's some carbohydrate, there's some fat, there's some protein, and therefore it should nourish us. Now, what he found is that his health declined so dramatically. I think he was only in his 30s. Mm. Um, and on every level, uh, there was a decline and quite a significant decline. They were actually able to sort of um, put a, an age to the mm. level of his health after, pre and after. I think what this demonstrated to us is that what we put in really does create the foundations of fueling that body for health. But what's really interesting is that when we don't put the right food in, our body, even though it's so intelligent, can't make good of that poor nutrition. Um, it affects not only how our gut is, but it affects our mood, our sexual health, our interactions with others. It affects our clarity of thought. It affects um, um, our immune function. Sorry, it just Hugely, es escaped yeah. me big time there. So... Um, when we don't put good food in, the other very important connection here is that the body then produces neurotransmitters that then start to affect the brain. So it's kind of like this double whammy kind of approach. So what do we Can do? I just oh, yeah. say one thing there. Even if we are putting good food and if our teenager, teenagers are eating really, really well, but they're subluxated or there's an interference in their nervous system, we, there's going to be a limitation of matter there as to how well they can use that fuel, isn't there? Absolutely. You nail on the head. It, you need to be able to perceive your environment. And, mm. and that, you know, you could, it's a great example. We're exam time in New Zealand. Um, everyone's sitting their external exams. You could do all the study in the world, but if you don't have the right exam technique or have the right approach, you're not going to be able to um, really show how, how well you know the material. Same in the body. If your nerve system is not able to perceive that good food, that good nutrition, and use it appropriately, you know, we're, we're back at square one. So when we see people for the first time, our teens, our tweens in the practice, um, it's really, uh, I think probably first and foremost, the most important thing is being able to connect with them, particularly if they're having any struggles with anxiety, any kind of mood um, issues, or any kind of social pressures that they have, which let's be honest, that happens a lot. Yeah. So um, I think a big job uh, for us, the chiropractor or for any health professional is being able to connect in a way that's authentic and real um, and in a way that um, they feel that they can safely open up to us because it is in gathering that information in the history that helps us to be more specific with the care that we can provide. Um, we usually we'll try and open up a space for them to talk to us rather than ask uh, us ask specific questions. Uh, so that requires time, space and energy really. Mm -hmm. And then the most important thing for us to establish if that 
nerve system is subluxated or has interference or not is really to do our scans. You've heard us talk a lot about the scans. They are absolutely pivotal in helping us to understand what that baseline health and well-being of that child is um, by doing their heart rate variability, looking at how they're how how they're perceiving their world and whether they're in a, a state of stress or rest, digest, and heal. The thermal scan, of course, helps us to see how that autonomic nerve system is functioning and how well that brain is communicating to the body or not. And the surface EMG scan is going to tell us how much energy is required just to hold that spine in an upright position. And obviously, if we're using way too much energy in that position, how on earth we're supposed to be able to then attend in the classroom or have a good social um, circle, I do not know. Mm. Uh, once we've done those scans, and we've checked that that child for their subluxations, we then will report back um, always to the family and um, explain how we might be able to help and what that will involve. So that always happens in our report visit. And then we'll start care once everyone's happy and consented to care and happy to go ahead. We've got an amazing um, little story um, to demonstrate uh, some amazing changes that, occur that can occur in the body. When the body knows how to heal, hey? Um, so speaking of scans, so I have these scans sitting in front of us. So this person came to the practice um, because they had, well, they'd heard about the nerve system and they had a bit of an understanding that their body should be healing and they very much knew that they were not. So they were not able to complete more than three days in a row of their usual life before needing time off, days off, often more than one in a row to recuperate and recover. Um, and that was, there was nothing different or out of the ordinary. It simply was getting through a usual day that their body could not handle. They had gluten and dairy and legume intolerances, maybe others. They weren't quite sure. They couldn't pinpoint all of the triggers, but they just knew that after consuming those foods, they were awake all night. They felt groggy. They felt inflamed. They felt sore um, and they felt really, really sick. So it was a very, very high state of emotional stress for this person and their family. And like I said, when your sleep quality is that poor, you can't regenerate. So they were just running on empty and the scans showed it. So the heart rate variability scan we took with her tells us that her system is depleted. And even though she was sitting in the midline, meaning that um, it appears that her body can flick towards a higher alert or a fight or flight state when it needs to and it can also switch into that resting state when it needed to it was simply so depleted that little things suddenly became big things and her nervous system was not handling life another one that really stood out was the thermal scan so that's measuring autonomic function which is a really big long word and basically means how well your brain and body are communicating so we saw multiple areas of tension and stress throughout that system, um, which again means that if your brain and body are not talking to each other well, they are naturally not going to bring about normal or usual or expected function. And that's what this person was experiencing. So we did our in initial intensive care plan, meaning they were adjusted quite frequently and given the opportunity to clear that interference, clear whatever was getting in the way, of a body working well. And when we did our first rescan, what was really interesting is that thermal pattern shifted hugely. So we could see that there's still more to clear out because we know um, we're not there yet. There's never uh, one destination. It's the journey of continual health, continual well-being. 
but we could see a huge shift in that pattern, meaning her body was starting to reconnect. Her HRV scan changed hugely as well um, as she moves back up towards, well, I guess filling that tank back up and being able to have more capacity for life. Now, these scans were an excellent stepping stone for us because Within a few weeks, what she was reporting is she was suddenly being able to do five days in a row. Um, she went away on holiday and was able to eat basically all the foods that the rest of the family were and was not having any responses. She is sleeping well and in her words, her entire life has changed. And I thought this story was a really, really good one to share because even though symptomatically, she feels she's hit all of her goals, she is so happy. The scans tell us that neurologically and from a function perspective, she is still on her way to wiring up the best and the healthiest nervous system possible. Um, so we're seeing her a little less frequency frequently at the moment. We're actually seeing the whole family now um, and her goals are continual and optimal well-being. So I thought that was a cool one to talk about. Incredibly cool and incredibly exciting. And what a big shift for her and um, life. So we're starting to think about um, what is ahead. And of course, in New Zealand, we're heading towards our big summer holidays. Uh, most of our students or our teens at the moment are sitting exams. Um, in another two weeks, they'll be finished and they'll start into their summer breaks. And summer breaks um, in New Zealand at this time of year is long and wonderful. However, it brings around a disruption in our normal routines. Uh, for some teenagers, it may mean partying. For others, it may mean um, sleepovers. For others, it's it's less sleep, potentially. So sleep deficits, um, potentially uh, changes in diet, uh, eating more foods that we wouldn't normally eat, perhaps drinking alcohol for those older teenagers. All of these things are quite different and uh, potentially can be stressful on that nerve system. However, if the nerve system is well adjusted it's going to be able to better adapt and have more resilience as we start to potentially put different stresses into the system. And that's what we're all about, is increasing our body's resilience so we can handle um, and live a full and vibrant life. So next week episode, we'll start to step into those and in ways that we can start to prepare um, ourselves for a really fun and vibrant and healthy summer. Sounds amazing. 